Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Previously on El Flow. In 2001, a local senator of the popular Democratic Party named Velda Gonzalez was initiating, in her words, a crusade to prevent the exploitation of women, specifically minors, in reggaeton music videos. La mujer que ha desenfundado su espada en este asunto del perreo es la senadora Velda González. Not surprisingly, Velda's efforts divided Puerto Rico. Reggaeton artists in particular were furious. Here's one song by reggaeton pioneers Baby Rata and Gringo. I was upset at your grandma because I was like, oh my God, how can she say que esta música degrada? Has she has time to sit down and listen to my music? They tried to charge me for using minors in the videos. She wanted to investigate that because she was told that girls as young as 14 were being used in these videos. Perreando. Audiencia en el Senado. During the hearing in the Senate, man, was I embarrassed. I said, damn, this time I really crossed the line. <laughs> el legado de Velda fue darle la... Velda's legacy was to give the genre international promotion. I think it was the biggest unpaid promo in the history of the genre. The law made them really use their minds when it came time to write, says Evie Queen. Ella en verdad forzó a cambiar el formato a something more commercial, which I love. And that was amazing. For me, that was an amazing moment in nuestra historia. One night in 2003 at San Juan's Irán Bithorn Stadium, Senator Velda González the beloved actress and main adversary in the eyes of many reggaeton artists was doing what a year earlier would have been unthinkable. Velda, on stage alongside reggaeton singers Héctor Antito, was dancing reggaeton. While it was by no means perreo, I mean, she was in her 70s, the appearance signaled that Puerto Ricans across the island and of all ages were ready to embrace reggaeton, to make it theirs, to make it ours, and to back the artists who would now shoulder the island's elevated musical expectations. I mean, as fans, we're super picky, or kind of a pain in the ass. And the reggaeton movement was also ready to move on, to evolve, to grow, and to stay on top for good. This is El Flow. A Journey to the Roots of Reggaeton. My name is Lilia Luciano. I'm a CBS News correspondent born and raised in Puerto Rico, the cradle of reggaeton. You're listening to episode 17, Reggaeton Pal Mundo. 
The first signs that things were actually changing came during my grandmother Velda's campaign to clean up the most explicit versions of reggaeton. Before the dust settled from the highly polarized Senate hearings, a new artist was busy, quietly working on a timeless masterpiece. The album was a departure from a lot of what categorized reggaeton up until that point. It was political, incorporated Afro-Puerto Rican beats, and featured just one artist. Though it wasn't the intention, the album broke down prejudices against reggaeton, and it helped the movement become the musical identity across a wide cut of generations and classes. To do that, of course, you've got to be one fiery badass. La palabra bayarde, ¿sabe lo que significa? The word abayarde, do you know what it means? <laughs> abayarde is this insect, kind of small, like a little ant. But when it stings, it burns like hell. Well, that's Tego. DJ Adam met Tego Calderon when they were just school kids, back in the day when he was starting to make beats that he'd give to the other kids who wanted to be rappers. Estamos hablando ya... Su primer ritmo yo se lo di en 1990. The first beat I gave him was in 1990. We're talking about how many years ago? 30, 31. Our story, he and I, is very peculiar because we were neighbors when we were little. When we were children, he lived three houses down from me. DJ Adam remembers Tego being really observational. Like, when you spoke to him, he'd listen, but then he'd look right through you, like trying to figure you out. He said he was like this with everything. We were from Rio Grande, which is a town in the eastern part of the island. Next to Rio Grande, there's another town called Loiza. Loiza is a very cultural Afro-Caribbean town. Well, Tego's father took him to Loiza every Sunday so that he could see the toques de bomba. That's what they call it when they play bomba music. And that's where he picked up on jazz, Latin jazz, salsa, bomba, rock, rap, reggae. Tego has all those influences in him. The years went by. DJ Adam moved away, and so did Tego. The two friends didn't see each other again for almost a decade. By then, DJ Adam was already a well-known underground producer and DJ. We click again when Eddie D is making his album, El Terrorista de la Lirica, which was in 2000. Eddie tells me that he's going to feature a rapper no one has heard before, that he loves a guy, and that he likes the way he raps. And I'm like, who are you talking about? And at the moment, I see this guy. And I'm like, but this guy, I, I know him. He's Teggy. I said, don't tell me you're a rapper too. And he said, of course. Soon, DJ Adam was again making tracks for his childhood friend. Songs like Mi Entierro and Cosa Buena. And about the time when the rest of the genre was fixated on Bella González, Tego and Elias de León, founder of White Lion Records, got to work on the album that would go down in reggaeton history. When I heard the album that Elias brought so I could have a listen, I looked him in the eye and told him, This is a masterpiece, because I hadn't heard an album like that by a solo artist. We're not talking about a CD with a bunch of singers. This is going to blow up really hard, I told him. And he said, it's going to explode. And that's what happened. 
El Avallale, Tego's debut album, recorded in 2002, was an instant standout. Tego's slow, deep drawl was refreshing compared to the more abrasive flows of the time. His lyrics were more politicized than sexualized, though of course they had that too. Musically, the album's arrangements fused together the familiar reggaeton dembow with the old-school salsa and something different, traditional Afro-Puerto Rican drums. You play it from the beginning until the end. I don't skip any of the songs. I even like the interludes because it's got Afro-culture, which is what we call bomba music. That's very Afro-Caribbean. And he puts that in his music. No one, no rapper that I know of had done that. And it worked amazingly. For real, that album made history. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made, and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With the success of El Avallarle, reggaeton began to take off again, and this time it left the island. In 2003, Madison Square Garden in New York City hosted the first reggaeton concert featuring heavy hitters like Daddy Yankee, Don Omar, Evie Queen, and of course Tego. It was called Megaton. That same year, sales of new reggaeton songs averaged between 50,000 and 100,000 copies a month in Puerto Rico, dominating the charts. But perhaps El Avallarle's most successful feat was in showing that reggaeton was capable of emerging from the informal ways of reggaeton to producing a more refined musical product. In aquella época, yo lo vi... Un cambio bien drástico. At that time, I saw very drastic changes. Because above all else, he had the hottest producers at the time. In their finest hour. I'm talking about Looney Tunes. Francisco Saldaña, a.k.a. Looney, and Victor Cabrera, a.k.a. Tunes, known together as the production duo Looney Tunes, were the architects behind foundational reggaeton tracks like Gasolina, Rakata, and Tegos El Avallarle. 
nobody played a larger role in transforming what reggaeton sounded like in the early 2000s, or ever for that matter. They're both great, you know, amazing people, amazing, you know, human beings, but in terms of their character and how they are, they're total, total opposites. That's Tiny, the producer behind some of the biggest current reggaeton hits, from J Balvin to Bad Bunny. Tiny got his first producing opportunity with Looney Tunes just as they were hitting their stride. Like Looney likes the spotlight. He likes, you know, being out there and more outspoken. He just has that charisma. You know, he's always making jokes like, uh, like all the time. Looney was a studio rat, always there, always bringing the energy. Tunes, on the other hand, could hardly be found. Tunes is like the mega introverted, you know, person. Like, you had to, like, go pick him out of his house and, like, pull him out because he prefers to be over there. Like, he's not looking for that spotlight. Their personal differences also manifested themselves in their musical attributes. Tunes, it was rare to see him at the studio, but when he came, I was just trying to be the biggest sponge in the world and absorb everything that I could. He's a genius, bro. Like, everything that he did, like, was crazy. And he will create melodies and erase them. And I'm feeling over here that that's, like, the best melody I've ever heard in my life. While Tunes handled the melodies, Looney was a percussionist. He was constantly looking for the best drums and loops. He'd throw in different effects to get the right kick or snare, always making sure the sound was just right. To see how how much of a perfectionist he, he is and... You know, seeing how Looney really went into, like, the mixing of the sounds and, you know, making everything sound and pop and sound big and, and, you know, heavy. I think I got a lot of that from seeing him work. Looney Tunes was successful because they incorporated sounds they were familiar with and were widely recognized, like Tego did with salsa and bomba, except Looney Tunes did it with bachata and merengue. That's because Looney Tunes' origin story didn't start in Pari de Marquesina, or in a caserío, or even in Puerto Rico at all, but in the halls of Harvard University. And by halls, I mean dining halls. You see, Francisco and Victor were both born in the Dominican Republic, and then they moved to the Boston area, where they became friends and where they discovered reggaeton. During the day, they worked at Harvard's cafeterias, And at night, they were the DIY producers playing around on a music-making software called Fruity Loops. Their signature trademark? Fusing bachata and merengue over dembo. And that became the backbone to reggaeton's first global takeover. I think they, they're like the biggest influence in, in shaping what we have and, and how it sounds and what it evolved into. Because you, you can see a before and after them, and, and it's a huge difference. In the year 2000, Francisco and Victor met DJ Nelson, who had worked under DJ Negro at The Noise, and by then had branched out on his own. DJ Nelson signed them and put them right to work. Though they were essentially rookies, the two producers knew there was a ways to go in terms of production quality in the island. Underground was rough. Looney Tunes wanted their music to have a more sophisticated sound. They banked on technology. New equipment from the States, the latest software, and the ability to use it. The result was new melodies, moods, progressions, and structure. 
And I think they brought that to what reggaeton is today, like a lot more structured, like intro, chorus, verse, bridge, like those type of things. But also adding like the melodies, like adding pianos, strings and, you know, synthesizers and things that really, you know, were more cohesive. Like people started singing a lot more in tune, like at the right chords. Like before it was like the, the chord of progression of the singer will be in one side. The melody will be in another and it didn't like coexist as, as well. So I think they really brought that into place and made it a more structured and established, you know, genre. By 2005, just two years after the release of El Avallale and with Wisin y Yandel's Dembo classic Rakata and Daddy Yankee's genre-defining Gasolina hot off the presses, reggaeton had earned its own stations in New York, Los Angeles, Miami, and several cities in between. And so it was fitting that during the third annual Megaton in Madison Square Garden, Looney Tunes was in attendance. Except this time, before the curtain call, it was their time to come up on stage and take a bow as the main act. El Flow is a production of Exile Content Studio in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. I'm Lilia Luciano, your host and executive producer. The show is created and produced by Vitenis Di Julis, production and sound design by Dixo, additional production by David Quiñones, Virna Couto, Hermes Ayala, and Natalia Merced, story editing by Nuria Net, original music by Truco, production supervision by Álvaro Céspedes. Executive producers for Exile Content Studio are Nando Vila, Isaac Lee, and Alejandro Uribe. Executive producers for iHeartMedia are Connell Byrne and Giselle Bances. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.